this episode of Farscast. Farzine Basugian here with you. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you guys all had a great Thanksgiving. I know I did. Hope you guys enjoyed some football. Uh, a lot of good football action on Thanksgiving, actually. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, man, I've got to say the, the weather is not too terrible right now in uh, in Kansas City where I am. So uh, that's uh, that's not too bad. So. Uh, as far as uh, what's going to be coming up on the podcast, don't expect too many podcasts from me this month. I'm going to be on vacation twice. First for my mom's birthday very soon. And then uh, for New Year's, I'll be uh, out of town. So, And plus the holidays with Christmas and all that. I tried to book a couple of guests, but I kind of forgot to use my brain and realize it is the holidays. And with my uh, traveling schedule, it's not going to match up with a whole lot of other people's schedules. So uh, maybe I'll try to fit one more podcast before Christmas uh, if we do, we do. If not, then oh well. But nonetheless, a uh, bit of while since we've last done a podcast. Uh, guest co-hosting with me today. I'm very excited to talk to this guy. He is a sports blogger out there. He and I have known each other for a few years, uh, covering combat sports for from CagePages.com, which is no longer uh, in existence. It is uh, it is uh, with the uh, it is ancient with the dinosaurs now, if you want to put it that way. Uh, very excited to talk to this guy. He's on the podcast today, also from Kansas City, Josh Evanoff. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, you did. Uh, congratulations. You're one of the few people that get it right. I remember in, in school, everybody would, they would, you know, you recalled the office. It's Josh Evanoff every single time. So Evanhoff. you got that one right. So, yeah, man. Uh, I, I totally understand. Uh, with my name, uh, I've get, I've gotten all kinds of, uh, lovely pronunciations but yeah man uh <laughs> you and i we've uh we, we kind of chatted before the uh podcast you and i we've known each other for a while but this is our first time kind of talking in a setting like this um you're from the kansas city area as well i i mean i see your shirt right there i know our viewers can't see the video version but you've got well, what are you wearing you, you've got like this old school techno uh yeah it's like uh it's like a tv but it's got like the chiefs like an eight-bit form like kelsey mahomes hill on like a television it's like a tech mobile s shirt yeah that's awesome i love it and I, I vintage stuff i mean i'm all about that stuff so uh i'm good i'm good with that kind of stuff by the way tell me what you do who do you write for and uh, what do you cover by the way yeah as far as coverage you caught me at a good time obviously last month um i went ahead and joined up with uh sportskeeda.com uh to help kind of run their mma and boxing side of things they're pretty like reputable Sports site, I get like in terms of like coverage, like if you look up like internet metrics as far as like viewership, they're really high up there. So, uh, yeah, it's by far the biggest opportunity I've gotten. So, uh, I'm yeah. very happy with that. Literally just joined up with them last month to work on the editing and uh, writing side of things, cover MMA and boxing. You know, you and I, we were talking about this, and I think this is kind of cool to tell the, the listeners about because a lot of people know me from uh, my old Chiefs podcast that I did for gosh, I want to say, um. 13 years. I mean, there were two years where I did not do it because I was doing either KJHK, which is KU student radio station, or I was at Sixth Sense Sports Radio. But man, I did that for the longest time. And I know you've done a lot of uh, a lot of media, but you're you're at the same uh, junior college that I went to. And man, when I was there in 2009, my first year, we just started up an internet, not a not an actual radio station like uh, <laughs> KU's or K-State's, an internet radio station, which never really hit the ground running. I mean, we didn't have listeners and I, I know it's, it's no longer in existence. Um, I'm guessing the school said, look, you guys aren't getting enough, enough followers. Fuck you guys. We're dropping <laughs> you guys, something like that. Um, and then there's also the student uh, newspaper there, which is bi-monthly. 
Um, and I mentioned this earlier, like, like I'm jealous of you because the resources you have now as a blogger in 2021, it's way better than student media. I mean, especially community college and no disrespect to, I mean, I love student media when it functions right. I have a lot of stories about that maybe for another time, but, um, <laughs> I mean, you, you, I was telling you this earlier, like what you're doing now with all your blogs and what now you're verified on social media, like that's mm-hmm. way more, you get a lot more recognition than writing for a bi-monthly college newspaper, honestly. Yeah. I jokingly tell all my friends now that I'm famous because the whole Twitter verification thing. Um, yeah. I mean, like between, I mean, just being completely honest, I mean, I'd never realized like this is like a, an avenue I could take because I always wanted to do like journalism, writing and all that stuff. And then I was like 15 and I just like, I was talking to my friends about MMA and I'm like, my friends don't care. They don't watch MMA. So I just look for somewhere yeah. to write, found cage pages. And I've just kind of been going down this avenue of always just like finding this place to like just adding a bunch of different, you know, place for me to write at stuff to add to the resume. And like, I don't want to diss school because obviously I'm in, I'm in school right now, but I feel like it's kind of a similar path, but not in massive amount of debt. So that's kind of, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Boy, um, I'll tell you one quick story. I um, I was the football and the baseball beat writer for KU my first year there for the 2012 through the 2013 school year. And here's a funny thing. I um, I know nothing about baseball. I really don't <laughs> like I followed the Royals a little bit when they were doing well in 20 late 2014 and 2015. Um, and then I worked for the Royals for a few years. So it's just by default, I kind of follow them because I attend a lot of their games, uh, doing mm-hmm. uh, media production and whatnot. But I told the, um, the sports editor, I go, dude, I know nothing about baseball. So if you want to give me this baseball beat, just be aware of that. And there were a lot of other students who wanted this baseball beat so badly. And they're like, yeah, we're giving it to you. Cause you have more writing experience. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> like, like you can't say no to that. Cause like, I mean, you just said a moment ago, like you're trying to add clips. You're trying to add a resume. You're trying to have, have as mm-hmm. much uh, of a profile as you can. And I'll never forget this. Cause this is how unorganized student media can be. Sometimes again, these are students. I understand some people are new, have zero experience at all, but I mm-hmm. wrote the K you had a double header and I think they, they split the double header that day and i wrote it in the first goddamn sentence of the head of the um of the article <laughs> and in the headline people don't realize this uh maybe in blogging it's different but with newspaper writing the editors always write the headlines and in the headline it said ku got swept in the doubleheader i'm like no in the first <laughs> sentence it says they split funny enough for one of my journalism classes we have this uh weekly assignment where we have to find at least one uh, factual or grammatic error uh, out there in the media can be TV news, print news, whatever. And I use my own story as <laughs> an error. So yeah, that's uh, like student media. Again, it can be great when everything's working and when all the students are actually dedicated and actually knowing what the hell they're doing when they're not, it's a shit show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, entirely. Like, thankfully I never had to, uh, I did that like same exercise. I think in like high school when you have to find like, something incorrect but yeah i think i never really got too involved with student media at least in college like i I attended like the journalism courses i learned the basics but in high school i like it's really stupid reason in high school i like just didn't get along with like my journalism teacher i'm like i don't want to do student media anymore i'm not really a big fan of it like just and so i just college i was just like i'll take the class and then i'm cool with not getting involved with like the paper or anything like that 
Well, yeah, man, I know you uh, you follow the Chiefs uh, just as closely as I do, man. I'll tell you what, that start to the season, even the first one, I know they came back and won, but that was one of the ugliest performances I have seen. Now, it doesn't matter as much when you win a game like that, but shortly mm-hmm. after that, man, just the way they not just lost, uh, I mean, the losing is one thing, but the way they lost all these excessive turnovers, and they've calmed down on that quite a lot lately. Um, they're hitting their stride at the right time. They've won six in a row now. If is that right? Six in a row? Yeah. Hmm. No, I think it's four. But what's their record? Right? I don't even know. No, they, no, they're seven. <laughs> so, they so were they're two seven and four. three. Now hmm. they're I don't even know what their goddamn record is. Seven and four? Seven, seven and four. four. Okay, they won five yeah. in a row. It's five in a row. You you and I were both wrong on that. We meet in the middle. So uh, but yeah, I mean, look, everything the Chiefs are doing right now. You got to give them credit. Oh, by the way, you're right. It is four in a row. I don't know why I thought it was five in a row for some reason. But anyway, I digress. Um, they really found a way to pick it up because the defense is playing a lot better. The offense, not consistent, but they're also not turning the ball over as much. Uh, what's your takeaway with the way that she still played the last few weeks? You know, honestly, I'm, I'm a lot more. I, obviously, I went through the doom and gloom phase that everybody did at the start of the season where it was just it was horrific. I mean, obviously it's weird to say that after like a two and three start, but it's like in the way in which those games went, they could have just easily been zero and five rather than two and three. Um, But at the same time, like after we started getting into a rhythm where it was like, you know, we won this game, we won that game. And it would always be the case up until like the last two games where either our offense would be good or our defense would be terrible or be the inverse. And I was like, man, we're still somehow managing to scratch these games with one side of the ball being completely terrible, like completely got off. So I was like, you know what? This is not going to happen forever. Eventually, one of them is going to find their way back to mediocrity, or both will, and we'll be okay. So honestly, I've loved the way they played the last couple of weeks. Uh, even the Cowboys game where it was like, you know, what was it 19 to 9? Yeah. And it kind of cooled down in the second half. I was like, you know what? Cowboys still a really good team. I understand that they had like a couple of injuries on their offensive side of the ball, but we still look pretty good in that game. I'm a lot more – I was a lot more optimistic then, and I'm still a lot more optimistic now just because – like you said, they're hitting the stride at the right time. And to be completely honest with you, like the rest of the NFL, I have no idea what the fuck's going on. Like, I mean, everybody is just, there's injuries left and right. Nobody's consistent. Like it's just, the Chiefs are hitting it at the perfect time. So I'm honestly feeling really good right now. Well, I was, I, I did a podcast hit. Uh, it was the pinfall stream uh, podcast. So shout out to those guys. Uh, they're pretty cool. Uh, I got to hang out with them and uh, do a podcast with those guys um, on Monday. And I was talking about this. It's like, look, and there's nothing wrong with this. I mean, it's better to be lucky than not. Because when you say the word lucky, it, it almost has like this negative connotation. And that's not, I don't think it, it, it really is. It's just what it is. Um, Cause luck is involved. I, I mean, it's a part of sports. Um, the Chiefs have been lucky, like in addition to winning, almost every single freaking thing has gone in their favor with all these other games. I mean, there would not have been a doubt in my mind that the Chiefs could have taken first place in the division, but to do it in November going into December, I did not think that was a possibility. And the fact that the Chiefs are here with that just tells you, hey, look, they have had luck on their side. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah, you mentioned uh, the whole thing with the NFL, this has been kind of a weird year because if you remember the Ravens beat the chiefs in week two uh, mm-hmm. with that crazy fumble situation with Clyde Edwards, Alaire, and everyone thought, Oh, the Ravens are now the best team in the NFL. And then a couple of weeks later is the bills destroy the chiefs. Oh, the bills are the best team in the AFC. Well, then the Bengals 
blow out the Ravens. They're the best team now. Now the Titans are the best team now, and they've slipped lately. I know the Ravens are back up now, but the team that people are catching on right now, and they're noticing their uh, rebound, the Patriots, I mean, Mac Jones is not playing like a rookie. He is like the guy looks like he's been around the NFL for a couple of years at least. And that defense is playing very well. Um, like right now, the two best teams in the AFC are definitely the, the, the Patriots and the Chiefs. And by the way, Belichick just became the front runner in a lot of the uh, betting sites for coach of the year. I mean, that tells you what a lot of people think of him. And I think with the way the media is, the 50 voters, they, t- they kind of favor the veterans for these kinds of things so i think belichick is on his way to winning coach of the year and i'll be honest i got a little bit of a a little bit of uh an interest in that because i did put a bet on that before the season started (laughs) you put a bet on belichick oh yeah belichick and reed my my hunch was if the chiefs go undefeated like the team was hyping up which obviously is not gonna happen not happening if the team went undefeated i mean you kind of have to give andy reed um, coach of the year for the first ever 17 game schedule to go undefeated. The mm-hmm. other guy who I thought could have been coach of the year would have been Belichick because everyone said, Oh, it was Brady all along. Who was the mastermind? Well, if he found a way to do well with a rookie quarterback, I think the media would be heavily in favor of giving him coach of the year. So that was my thought process when I did mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. I mean, I'm going to be completely honest. With you. Like I really, really thought the pages are being super slept on. Like I didn't want it to happen. Like, it makes me yeah. so sad inside because, like, I, I know Patriots. Fans are insufferable. And I, it's the same way, like, we're the same <laughs> way that they were then. But, like, they got at least 20 years of fun. And yeah. Brady leaves and they have one down year. But even during their down year last year, and I'm sure this is something that you probably picked on, picked up on. I mean, they had, like, a lot of people who opted out. They had a bunch of injuries. They yeah. had pretty much no playmakers on the side of the ball. And they still went 7-9. and nine. And I'm like, Belichick's not going to allow that to happen again. One and then they also got a bunch of guys back. They got some guys through free agency. It look like I don't. I don't want to say it. I don't. I hope I'm jinxing it for the Patriots. It looks like it's going to be the Patriots and the Chiefs in the AFC Championship once again. I think so. so. It'll probably give me a heart attack. But just like you look around, like the rest of the NFL, dude, it's just too inconsistent. I mean, I thought maybe the Titans would be that team, but then they're just. I mean, they're too beat up now. Ravens. I mean, you said like Quincy was like they're back, but I'm not really sure if they're back, man. I mean, you look at Lamar Jackson's numbers. I hate to be the numbers guy, but like. His passing has been a lot more ineffective this year. I understand, like, his his running is the only thing that keeps him somewhat in contention. But, like, I think it's, like, 15 touchdowns to 13 interceptions or something. Now he's yeah. they've won every single game where, like, they've turned over the ball twice. But, yeah, I mean, just Browns, Bakers, like a one-legged man. The Bills yeah. are just inconsistent. So, yeah, it's looking like Chiefs and Patriots, which saddens me. Well, uh, here's the thing, because you mentioned the Titans. And I don't know how much of the Patriots-Titans game you saw on Sunday. Mm. I watched that game pretty closely because, in my opinion, those are the two best coaches in football right now. And I'm a big fan of Rabel, and part of it is because he played a couple years in Kansas City. He was part of that Matt Castle trade. But, man, uh, and I love his passion for the game of football, but that could have been a much different ending and a better one for the Titans if those running backs hold on to the ball. Like Derrick Henry, I know a lot of people are talking about his absence, and that's certainly playing a factor, but – those two running backs, uh, and I don't remember their names, they played really, really well for the Titans. And if they just don't fumble on those big runs that they had, mm-hmm. there's a different ending in that football game. Possibly. Possibly. Um, I mean, that's maybe we can discuss that in an alternate universe. But the way the, the, the Titans have played, you know, they've been playing fairly well. Even in the last two games before Derrick Henry's injury, 
he wasn't playing particularly well and the Titans were still winning football games. So the Titans to me, I'm not going to rule them out yet because I think they're still one of the better teams in the AFC uh, along with the Patriots and the, um, and the chiefs. But yeah, it is kind of a weird year in the AFC. I mean, just when you think someone, whoever captures the top spot in the AFC and you have every reason to think they're going to run away with it, they don't. So that's been, that's been a crazy year. It's been, it's been fun to watch though. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Entirely. I mean, just back to the, the, when you brought up with the Titans page game, I believe like that was a game that was like a lot closer than the final score indicated. I agree. Yeah. Um, I remember one of the, the guys name is Dante Foreman. I think um, he was putting it on, but obviously, like you said, they couldn't, they couldn't hang on to the ball. It's just, it's such a weird year. Not even just for the AFC. I mean, the, a- the NFC is pretty weird too. Obviously it's a lot more condensed in terms of just like yeah. a couple of different teams. Like the Bucks have been a little bit inconsistent, but they were last year too. The Rams looked like they were going to, I think they were seven and one and they lost every single game since the Von Miller trade. Something along those lines. I think, I think so. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's, it's less hectic over there. Cause it's just like, a, there's fewer contenders. Uh, but yeah, the NFC has been wild too. Uh, by the way, I've got to ask you, cause I just saw, I just got a tweet about this. Um, did you see pro football focus, uh, grade their, um, top 25 defenders under 25? I did not. I did not see this. So I'll, I'll tell you the list. Number one is Max Crosby from the Raiders. Number two is actually a chiefs player. I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a guess here. Who do you think that chiefs player is? I, on, I couldn't even, I couldn't even tell you. I have no idea. It's Rashad Fenton. <laughs> oh, that's, I guess that, that's surprisingly so high, but he has been pretty good this year. Yeah, he has been. And, and look, I, I have, I'm good friends with, um, with uh, Sam, and I'm, his name is Sam Hayes. Um, really good guy. He's been on my podcast once before. We did like a Super Bowl Eve podcast, and he was a part of it. Um, he's part of Pro Football Focus, and he's seen me kind of joke about this. Um, I've always joked because people always say, oh, pro football focus doesn't matter. The, you know, their grades are not respectable or whatever. But whenever mm-hmm. pro football focus gives a player on your team a respectable grade, <laughs> suddenly it matters. You know, it's like someone just tweeted me and said, um, anyone that cites PFF as a resource in any argument should automatically be disqualified from the discussion. I'm just curious, like, what do you think of pro football focus? Do you take uh, a lot of um, a lot of value in that or, or what? What's your uh, what's your take? You know, if, if I'm being completely honest, I take very little stock in it, but I am guilty of doing the same exact thing you just stated. Like yeah. I'm on Reddit a lot of the time and I'll just, I'll look around, see pro football focus. Oh, this stat from them. Like, I don't really care. It's in, and then a Chiefs player shows up and is a good stat. I'm like, maybe we should go ahead and, you know, <laughs> we should reevaluate these guys. Maybe they're not yeah. so bad, you know, I, but I, if I'm being like completely objective, I really don't put that much stock into them. I think that they're an okay resource, I guess. Did you ever sign up for their statistics in the past? I did not, no. Man, I'll tell you what. They used to have their uh, premium statistics, which you you could actually see sacks allowed and then all kinds of insane stats that you don't have on NFL.com or ESPN.com. And there are some websites that have sacks allowed stats, but not everyone keeps it the same. I don't know why. That's just – I mean, that's – a question for the people who, who keep track of the stats for those specific websites, but they used to charge, I want to say 26 or 27 bucks a year for those premium stats that has now jumped up to $5,000 a year, which is, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I just saw the reaction <laughs> in your face. Like, I mean, so if you're part of the media and they include podcasters and bloggers into this, um, then you get, you get the, um, $5,000. But if you are just a fan and you want like fantasy football 
um, numbers uh, to basically help your fantasy football team, mm-hmm. then they give you like a significant discount on that. But it's like, what if, you know, what if I have a friend, I say, hey, go sign up and get their fantasy football advice or whatever for 200 or 300 bucks. And I don't know what their price is now. Um, but then it's like, hey, let me log into your your accounts. Like, how do you stop that from happening? I mean, look, it's the same thing with Netflix accounts, but I don't yeah. know. So I was just curious. I just, I just saw a tweet about that. So I was curious to know uh, your thoughts on uh, on that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good on that, dude. I got, I got a car to pay off. And I'm not going to go yeah, ahead and... <laughs> Dude, Jesus. I would rather I mean, the things you can do with $5,000. Come on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, we're, we're talking about the, the playoff race right now. You know what I heard on Pat McAfee's show, which is awesome. And for those who yeah. have Sirius XM, it's worth a subscription. And if you don't have it, it's on YouTube. Um, one of the very few Sirius XM shows that is available in their entirety for free. Um he even mentioned the Giants are in the race. The Giants are four and seven right now. Like that tells you how crazy of a year this is. And I don't know if you remember the 2002 season very well. That was a season where almost every team, especially in the AFC side of things, they were in the hunt until the final week of the season. And I think this could be one of those years where not only are you going to hand out three wildcard spots to a bunch of contending teams. The number one seed could be up for grabs. Some division titles could be on the line in week 18 this year. uh, That is, Um, this is going to be a really interesting ending to the NFL season. I'm really, uh, I'm really eager to see how this all pans out at the, uh, at the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of mind blowing when you put in perspective, when you look at like these teams, like, I mean, I don't want to pick on him because you know they have a lot of energy, but Seattle's been kind of garbage this year. I mean, just record-wise, understanding that Russell's been hurt, but I, I think they're what three and eight. They're still in the hunt. I mean, yeah, especially yeah. on the yeah the NFC side, the seventh seed. I think right now it might be the Eagles. I think, and they're like five and seven or something. Like it's been it's been hectic to put it mildly, but I think that kind of shows like the kind of juxtaposition between the AFC and the NFC and the uh, NFC rather. NFC, we're talking about like Seattle is in the hunt. Giants are in the hunt. Washington's in the hunt. The AFC, I'm not, I don't know the exact records. I'm having pulled up in front of me, but like there are some re, some really good teams. They're going to miss out on getting a playoffs, oh, even yeah. with the now like the seven spots. So it just kind of, just kind of, it's a crazy year. Like the NFL, I feel like we talk about this like every single year. Like, oh yeah, this year is crazy. But this one's, I feel like it's actually kind of living, it's, it's raising the bar, so to speak. Well, I'll read it to you real quickly. Uh, AFC, you've got Baltimore one, New England two, Tennessee, Kansas City. And then your three wildcard teams are Cincinnati, Buffalo, and L.A. Um, and then right behind them, you've got the the Raiders and the Broncos and the Colts, all six-win teams, another six-win team, the Browns, and then you've got the Steelers with a with a tie in their record. Uh, then the Dolphins are not too far behind. They're five and seven. I mean, the Jets, the Texans, and the Jaguars, I mean, you can go ahead and write those teams off. Mm-hmm. And then from the NFC side, uh, Arizona's still number one, Green Bay's two, Tampa Bay's three, Dallas is four, the Rams are five, uh, San Francisco is six, and then you mentioned Washington, or I, I think you mentioned the Eagles, actually. Washington is one of the, is the number seven seed with a five and six record. Here are all the teams with a five and six record. The Vikings, the Falcons, the Saints. These are, not five, these are now five and seven teams. The Eagles, the Panthers, and then right behind them, the Giants and the Bears. I mean, in Seattle's three and eight, Detroit's 0, 10 and one. So forget about Detroit, but 15 of the 16 NFC teams are still in it. That's how crazy it is. 
Yeah, I mean, that's just it, – it's borderline insane. Like, at least since the time I've been watching football. I've been watching football since, like, around – I want to say, like, 2010 is when I got really, really into it. I was, like, 9 or 10 years old, right? Yeah. And, like, I've never seen a season like this. Because, like, we've seen, like, division races go down to the very end. But, like, in playoff spots, go down to the very end, too. But it's, it's like, two, three teams, you know. Tie has to happen here. It's, it's crazy shit like that. <laughs> but this, it's like – 15 out of 16 <laughs> like that's completely insane it's like even teams like you brought up the browns like kind of like uh in the afc like they're a team that like they're like a fourth team down from, what are they 11th spot they would absolutely um, like let me look real quickly yeah, yeah they're they're a 12 seed right now yeah so there you go like that's just a good example like the browns i understand baker like they're baker's playing on one leg so it's a little bit maybe not the best example but like they're, if they were in the NFC, dude, like, come on. <laughs> but it just kind of shows, like, the juxtaposition uh, between like, the AFC and the NFC, just in terms of, like – and that's not to say the NFC is, like, a bad conference. It's just super top-heavy. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, the AFC is a lot more competition. Like, AFC, at least we kind of narrowed it down to, like, a couple different teams, but also, like, anybody can reasonably make it on both sides. Yeah, well, I was going to say, it, for, for me personally, I don't know if you feel this way or, or if you disagree, but – in the AFC, I'm especially with New England and Kansas City surging. I'm really interested to see the number number one seed, and then from the NFC, I'm curious to see who those three wild card spots go to. Like, I'd be really curious to know, like, like if there's like a parlay or anything online, and you can like pick the three teams right now at the beginning of December, like who those three wild card teams are going to be, what the payoff for that would be. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's got to be it's going to be a really, really close race. I mean, the, these things are always hard to predict too. Like you mm-hmm. never know how things are going to pan out, especially with injuries this time of year. Uh, I mean, a lot of injuries do occur in the month of December and, and keep in mind, we've got, you know, an extra week and generally the season ends before new year's or right after new year's, we're going to be playing football until mid January. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, things pan out, especially with the injury side of things. Yeah, and I mean, especially with injuries, but also like you brought it up, like about how like the main races to watch, like who's going to be the number one seed in the AFC, NFC, who's going to make it on the wild card side. AFC, I think the only thing, like I think right now, and I think I said this earlier, the Chiefs are like the team like I'm most confident in. But the issue is like they lost a bunch of games, right? Not not a lot. It was, it was four games, but like to like a lot of other playoffs. Felt teams, like a bunch. It felt like a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the way they were losing too, but like they lost a lot of tiebreakers during that stretch, especially like a team. I'm not sure how the Ravens are still winning games, but they still are. So they're gonna be a problem to face like whenever we're talking one seed. But NFC, dude, I flip a coin for like half of those teams. Like I have no idea who's gonna make it from the NFC side of things. Yeah. I, I... I still remember that 2002 ending. I think there's going to be a lot similar and I think a lot of fun to watch. I mean, I, I don't know if you've got Sunday ticket or if you have uh, streams that you watch online, but I think uh, a lot of people are going to be putting that to, uh, to good use uh, in week 18. So that's going to be a lot of fun to see. Uh, I did want to move on. And by the way, you and I were chatting, kind of getting to know each other. I did not know you were an Oklahoma Sooners fan. This whole Lincoln Riley contract. Um, he, uh, so I guess they're buying his house in uh, Oklahoma and in addition to that, he's getting an $8 million home in uh, in Southern California. And I, I fully understand an $8 million home, not as big as some might think it is. But still, you're getting an $8 million home for free. 24-7 private jet use. Um, that, that one can be more common than people think. So for him and his family, they get uh, 24-7 private jet use. 
In addition, I think it's a $110 million a year. I, I don't remember the exact uh, tweet that was out there by one of the reporters, but that mm-hmm. is a massive deal. I'm really curious from an Oklahoma standpoint, what's your take on that? You know, it's uh, it's been a rough few days in my household. You know, I come <laughs> from a long lineage. I mean, we, I'm, I'm looking at Kansas City. My, my dad went to Oklahoma. My grandfather went to Oklahoma. My aunt just graduated we're an Oklahoma family, man. It's been a rough, it's been a rough few days. I mean, as far as like him leaving, I think like most people, at least mo- most diehard college football fans are kind of like, it, it's known that coaches leave. They'll go ahead and just randomly dip out it, it, from different times. I don't think that's like really the issue for a lot of Oklahoma fans, but like you mentioned the massive contract, a lot of it comes down to the fact that like a lot of Sooner fans and this, I'm not sure how much is this all accurate. Obviously we're still like in the early stages of finding out how like his exit went and all that stuff but like there's been reports that like Oklahoma started off the year I'm gonna say like eight no nine and oh but they looked terrible the entire time like they were near losing to Kansas they had like a bunch of one score games stuff like that and then there was stuff coming out like before the biggest game of the year or one of the biggest games of the year Baylor he apparently was out due to um guys aren't you guys can't see the video but I'm putting in quotations family matters where apparently it's coming out he was possibly in USC or in California visiting on a trip during that time frame rather than being with the team, which they proceeded to get their shit kicked in the following week. Yeah. And just kind of like the fact that he kind of mailed it in and also his stuff coming out now, like obviously Bob Stoops, former the goat at Oklahoma for my, for my money now stepping up on the way that he is. Cause he's now the interim head coach. Um, like there's coming stuff coming out that like one of the cornerback coaches who's still technically at Oklahoma, he's not officially left the USC. He has not been announced to leave USC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was actually, yeah, he's recruiting for USC on Oklahoma's dime. And still is not officially announced that he's leaving, but it got leaked from like a player who was talking about it. So it's been rough, man. I know that um, they're talking about a bunch of different people possibly coming in. Uh, Honestly, like there have been reports like, oh, yeah, it'll happen today. It'll happen this day. We're going to get Clemson D coordinator. It's going to be this guy, that guy. I really think they're probably just scrambling right now. Um, and from, from what I've heard, it took them completely by surprise. So yeah, I don't think it's, it's been rough. I'll, I'll just put it, end it there. It's been a very rough time, man. I'll tell you what, I KU, I wish we had problems like that for our football program. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I just think, look, college is so interesting because when Charlie Weiss was the head coach at Kansas, uh, and I remember that was kind of a big deal because he was fair at the time, fairly recently, just a chief's offensive coordinator. And the, the things he did with the chiefs that year with Matt Castle and Dwayne Bow, guys who had never been to the pro bowl before they made the pro bowl, their only times in their career under Charlie Weiss as the OC. So that was a pretty uh, significant story when he took over as a uh, Kansas head coach. And a lot of people don't know the story behind Charlie Weiss. He has a daughter who has autism. And when he lived in Kansas city with his family, I guess the school that his daughter went to was not a good one. Whereas when he was the offensive coordinator for the Florida Gators, the school she went to really helped her on a personal level. So when he took the Kansas job, his wife and daughter stayed in uh, Florida. So that way she could continue to get her schooling. Um, And so because of that, uh, Charlie Weiss did get uh, and his family 24 seven private jet use. So that, that part can be a lot more uh, common than uh, people think. In fact, uh, one of my good friends, Dan Shanka, um he's been on the podcast a few times in the past uh and i've had him on my radio show as well in the past uh really really nice guy knowledgeable guy he used to be the um scout for andy reed in philadelphia also a former chief scout and a former ku scout he mentioned you know back in the day like way before like in the 60s 70s 80s around that time a lot of coaches they would in part of their contract they would get like a golf membership 
And also they would get a car uh, for, um, you, you know, a free car for the coach and then also a car for the wife too. So it's kind of interesting to see over the years, how these uh, college contracts have uh, panned out, but yeah, man, I mean, mm-hmm. look, Oklahoma, I mean, it's not like Oklahoma is some stepping stone. I mean, you mentioned Bob Stoops. He was there for what a decade and a half, almost two decades for a very long time there. And uh, he had a lot of success. It's not like the Sooners are some uh, stepping stone to go to the next big level or something. So it's just USC, you know, happens to be a little bit bigger. Uh, and uh, that's um, the way the cards panned out in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think that comes with a little bit of surprise. I think like if we're talking back in like 2005 USC, you know I mean, it'd be a lot more acceptable to swallow. But in terms of USC now, I think they've had one, I'm going to exaggerate here. For USC standards, they've probably had one, two good seasons in the last decade. And he's kind of that guy to bring in to kind of usher in, you know, a new a new era of USC. Like, because back whenever they're winning national championships, every, I was like four or five. I don't remember how many they won. But, like, uh, they won a couple with Reggie Bush and Matt Liner and all those guys. Uh, so, yeah, it's weird to see Oklahoma kind of like a stepping stone, so to speak. Obviously, he's not – but it's just – it, it hurts too because it's Lincoln. You know what I mean? Like this is a guy yeah. that like Bob Stoops brought in. It's like, uh, I mean, he retired early. He was, I think it was like 54, 53 he retired early. Cause he's like, you know what? I don't want to be the guy that stays around too long. And um, I think Lincoln could be the guy to like lead us to for the next 10, 15 years and just dipping out. It's just, it just hurts, man. And like, I get it too. Cause his thing is like, for all I'm talking right now, I'd absolutely take that contract in a heartbeat. Not even going to lie. Yeah. Like all the, all the money, all the houses, all that stuff. I'm gone instantly but it's it just it's just kind of a it's a it's a rough one i mean obviously it could be worse i could be kansas you know yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. <laughs> you know I, I know all about that yeah I'll, it's it's not that bad obviously a lot of people are like losing their minds i'm like let's it, it really it, it sucks obviously but i'm not too stressed out about it we have like um i think we go to the sec in 2024 i believe it's like it, it contracts as 2025. I've heard that we're going to go in either 2023 or 2024. We have a season or two to figure our shit out. And I think we'll be able to do that in time before, before we're getting squashed in the SEC. I think we can put in another good season or two before we get absolutely shit out. I think, I think we have time. You know, what's interesting is, um, yeah, as a KU fan, I mean, obviously basketball is a huge deal there. Uh, goes without saying uh, mm-hmm. football. I mean, listen, as a, as a student, someone who graduated from there, the only time I ever saw the football stadium packed was for graduation. Um, so when I covered the football team for KU, I had an opportunity, I, an opportunity to go on the road. I didn't go as much as I wish I could have because I was also covering the Chiefs for Bleacher Report uh, at the time. Uh, but um, when I was covering KU, I, I got to go on the road to, um, to Manhattan when the Chiefs and Wildcats played. And I also got, got to go to Norman as well. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see the, just the traditions that other college football stadiums have in person. Cause like you can watch the games at, on TV, but you don't actually get to see the fans and all that stuff on TV. Some of the traditions. In fact, I think every time the Sooners kick off the ball, they have these, um, I don't know what you call them, but these people who, um, shoot these, uh, old school guns or whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's like, man that if I was a kick returner on the opposing team, that was scared the <laughs> shit out of me. Like, like I remember the first time I heard that I was like, what the hell is that? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's pretty cool seeing their tradition. I mean, look, here's my thought schools or pro teams that are historically good. They're going to have maybe a down, a couple of down years. And maybe that's going to be the case with Oklahoma. I don't know, but they'll pick back up. They always mm-hmm. do like, look, look at the Lakers. 
I mean, after uh, Kobe, he retired and just the way the team went down. I mean, they were bad for a bit, but then they figured it out. They got LeBron James. They got Anthony Davis. And I know they're not doing well right now, but they won a championship recently. Like good teams, historically speaking, the same thing with the Celtics. They find a way to eventually rebound and start doing better again. So uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind, in a lot of people's mind, that uh, Oklahoma will rise again and be one of the more um, top-tier teams in college football mm-hmm. again. Yeah, and I also think that's kind of like the, the interesting thing about college football, too, is it's it's like – it's kind of the case for like all sports in general, especially like team-related sports, but it's the ultimate what have you done lately for me yeah, sport. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like to the high – I mean, we just saw Ed um, – I'm trying. I'm not really sure how you pronounce his name. Orgeron and Orgeron from LSU. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. he uh, wins national championship. The one of the most the most dominant college team I've ever seen in my lifetime. Like, think they went 15 and 0. Closest game they won by like two touchdowns. Something insane. That they squashed Oklahoma like 70 to 14. Something insane. He has two mediocre seasons and then he's gone. Really, more like one because they told him at the start of this year that he was out. So, he was, so a lot of college coaches, I feel like, are kind of seeing now or starting to realize that more. It's like, man, if I have Lincoln Riley could possibly be in the situation where it's like, you know, I have one bad year in the SEC. Probably people are probably going to be calling for my head. So he's probably just going to go do USC, easier conference, nicer weather. Recruits are a lot more based in California anyway. You won't have to do as much traveling to go recruiting. I mean, if I'm being completely objective, it's a lot better of a situation for him, but I'm a salty Oklahoma fan, so I'm very upset about it. <laughs> well, you know what I thought about? Someone mentioned this uh, to me on Facebook. Um, how much do you think Eric Bieniemy is looking at this and saying, shit, I should have taken the USC job? Wait, did he get offered the USC job? It was rumored, like, really early uh, on in the season. Um, and, look, I'm sure even if he did want it, it's one of those things where it's like, Hey, look, you got to wait for me to finish out the football season. But listen, college teams are never patient with this kind of thing. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you knew this, there's word out there and I don't know all the details behind this. Um, KU was supposed to get Jim Harbaugh, but the athletic director at the time was selfish as hell and said, no, you cannot coach the bowl game. You got to come to work right away, which is fucking stupid. Like, why would you say that? And I guess yeah. Harwa did not like that. And so the verbal agreement was basically out the window after that. So, yeah, it, 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 you know, it's so weird because college and the NFL start at the same time. But, you know, you fire someone and you want to bring someone in so they can start the recruiting process right away and all that shit. It, it, it's just it's never easy. I, I mean, people think that's part of the reason why Eric the enemy hasn't gotten a job is because he's fully dedicated to his season and the chief season the past three years has always either been the AFC championship or the Super Bowl. I don't know how much weight that really holds because we've mm-hmm. seen assistants in the Super Bowl and then they get hired officially right afterwards. So I don't know, but I guess there's some, especially in college, there's a lot going on there with that. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'll say this, if that Kansas Jamar story is true, good Lord, dude, like that is the most horrific thing i've ever heard my i feel bad for you like honestly it's bad as my as bad as myself is i'm like i know that we're gonna get like a pretty good college coach you know like you guys could have jim harbaugh bro like come yeah, on no. um eric b enemy dude that's that's a weird case i mean i honestly don't know what to make of that whole situation because like every single offseason for the past three years i mean we've seen the majority of at least since i since he's been in kansas city the majority of his offensive like coordinators get poached uh, at least yeah. Nagy's the most memorable one i'm sure there, I, there's others i can't remember or at least Peterson. Worked on yeah, thank you. Um, so it's just weird. I, the only, I legitimately have no idea what to make of that because 
it's one thing I see people like, Oh, well, they attribute Reed's success to him. I'm like, dude, Andy Reed's been a good coach forever. And he's had coaches poach for head coaching jobs forever. I, I like, he must be the worst interview of all time. He's the only thing I could think of. Like I've been there myself, well, man. Like, you know, here's the know. thing. Yeah. People are speculating. Here's something I have not heard. And I mentioned this to, um, I did a podcast with Zach Stenga. He's done a lot of uh, podcasts with me and also Eddie Law. You know who Eddie is. Yeah. Um, he's a good guy. He's been on this podcast a few times. And I mentioned this to them. Because no one d- discusses this, and I think the case with Eric Bieniemy, you kind of have to compare him to Josh McDaniels, and here's why: Josh McDaniels in New England before he got the Broncos job, mm-hmm. he had Tom Brady, and he had historically speaking the best offense in NFL history that almost went 19 and 0. So when Josh McDaniels got the Broncos job, and I know he started well in the beginning, he went six and 0, and then after that just crashed right afterwards. Um, when you look at Eric Bieniemy, first of all, he's not the play caller. I will say this though: when you watch games and when in between plays on offense, they show him sometimes he's covering his mouth with the play sheet, and he you can see his jaws moving. Like he's saying mm-hmm. a lot for someone who's not the play caller. He has a lot to say in that headset, so I don't really know exactly who's calling the plays or who has an influence on the plays. I guess that's probably a topic for another time. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. I think a lot of teams look at Eric Bieniemy and they say, hey, man, you've got Patrick Mahomes, you've got Tyreek Hill, you've got Travis Kelsey. You're supposedly not the play caller. Why should we trust hiring you? Because Josh McDaniels kind of had a similar thing, too, uh, if you remember. Um, that's the only thing I can think of as to why teams don't want to risk hiring Eric Bieniemy. That's That's my thought. You know, I understand that. That's the thing, like, but I also feel like, obviously, I'm not as well educated on other teams as I am the Chiefs. But, dude, I don't understand how you can – I hate to dunk on a particular coach. And he seems like a fantastic human being. But I'm not sure how you can look at, like, if we're going about resumes, how can you look at – even though Eric Bainamy, even though he's not calling plays, you know, obviously he's still contributing to the offense in a major capacity. Oh, yeah. How can you look at, like, pick David Coley. The I, Houston want, I was thinking the same name. The same <laughs> like, name. I've seen so many interviews. Bless his heart. Seems like a great human being. But, like, if you look throughout his coaching history, it's just like, it's not it's not fantastic, man. And um, yeah. he's older, too, and you're going to give that guy a head coaching job. I understand maybe they should want a guy to kind of just sit out a couple of years while they try to develop the team and – because they're going to be garbage for the next few years. Maybe that's their idea, but there's like other coaches that I feel like we see around the NFL that just, they're getting hired. And I'm like, I just, I don't know. I'm not sure. Even though he's not calling the plays, I'm like, I just don't understand. You know what I mean? It just, I've heard the arguments. I've heard lots of different ones. I just, it's never made a whole lot of sense in conjunction to like the other coaches getting head coaching jobs. Around the league. You know, it's funny. You mentioned that I, I made a joke earlier this season when the chiefs were struggling with their turnovers and all that, they were below 500. I said, wouldn't it be funny if this was the year of all years Eric Bieniemy got a head coaching job <laughs> like like that like this was the year it happened? Um, yeah, I don't know. Look, I think he 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 certainly deserves credit. Um, offensive coordinators in general, hey, listen, I don't think assistants get enough credit, and I also think assistants get some unnecessary criticism. Some of it's deserved, but I think you got to keep in mind an assistant is just an assistant. They don't have a lot of pull or a lot of influence on roster personnel. The coaches and the, or the head coaches and the general manager, I mean, those are the people who work on that stuff the most. Whatever they manufacture, that's what the assistants have to deal with. And I listen, 
you know, it's not Bienemy's fault that he happens to have a Pro Bowl at quarterback, tight end, and wide receiver. I mean, you you can't apologize for that. Um, hmm. I think he. I still think he should be a head coach. I'm just pu- putting out the reasons as to why he maybe isn't. And again, I think Josh McDaniels is maybe that poster boy as to why people, why general managers don't think the enemy's worthy. Of what? Listen, I know people have thrown race out there. I don't think that's really a reason. You mentioned David Coley. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he's due soon, though, especially with the turnaround this year. I think it's it's got to happen at some point. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to – not sure if I want him to go to the situation, but I could see the team like the Bears taking a flyer on him. Maybe not after the Matt Nagy failure, but because uh, obviously he's a former Kansas City guy. But, like, yeah, could you imagine him trying to work with Justin Fields, man? Like, it's I I think that could be, like, a really good connection there. But also, just it's, it's it feels long overdue. Um, then again, what what do we know? Like, it's I, he keeps on getting talked about and, like, so there's so much potential for Eric Bieniemy, but I also feel like it's one of those situations. Where, like I feel like there's something that we as like fans or media are missing. There's only so many times that like he can keep on missing out and having interviews and just not getting it to where like I just don't. Maybe there's just something we're missing. But obviously, I think I think at a certain point we're gonna learn though. I think he's gonna get a job. It has to be this year, right? Like after the yeah. turnaround and for everything, it's gotta be this year. It's gotta be. Um, you 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 think it's soon? By the way, you mentioned uh, Matt Nagy. Uh, you're a pro wrestling fan, right? Yeah, correct. So I don't want to watch wrestling as much as I used to, uh, but I do remember hearing the story last week or the week before, I guess at a Chicago Bulls game, because you mentioned Matt Nagy. Mm-hmm. Um, Chicago Bulls fans were chanting fire Matt Nagy. And then there was also an AEW wrestling event where they were chanting the same thing. It's like, man, because uh, look, these um, these athletes and coaches during their downtimes, they do like to go to local events. Like mm-hmm. if the WWE is in town or if there's a, uh, pro basketball team or pro hockey team in your area, you like to go to those games. It's like, man, I hope Ben Nagy does not do that for his leisure time because <laughs> you do not want to be uh, attending and uh, hearing those chants. That's uh, that's for damn sure. Um, speaking of combat sports, I know you're a big combat sports guy, as am I, uh, or specifically with the UFC. Man, this event, UFC 269, and the UFC has had a couple of really, really good pay-per-views lately. I know they lost um, – what was it? It was um, – is it George or Jorge? I don't know which one it is. I heard I've heard both. it pronounced both ways, but I'm pretty sure it's Jorge. That's I've always Masvidal said Jorge. And um, who was who was his opponent? Leon Edwards, Leon Edwards. I think. Yeah. yeah, that fell apart. <clears throat> but I love this card still. Uh, Charles Oliveira, uh, Oliveira, and Dustin Poirier. I mean, that's going to be a huge one. I'm a huge fan of Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena. Man, she seems like she's got some fire in her for this uh for this match she's been calling for it for she even like invaded a ufc press conference to ask Mm -hmm. dana white questions about it um Mm -hmm. and then you know uh kai cara france and cody garbrandt cody garbrandt i think this is his um flyweight debut sean o'malley's been a lot of fun to watch dominic cruz we haven't seen a lot of him lately so it's good to see him back uh, uh, in some cards tied to ivasa who was more entertaining for his post-game antics with the with the shoey and all that uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, upcoming card for uh, for the UFC? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's – I feel like the UFCs they've kind of like they've gone a new business model over this year. Uh, they've really kind of fine-tuned the point where it's like fight nights, take them or leave. It's typically like a one-fight card. Like this weekend, Jose Aldo, Rob Font, great fight. But below that, relatively minor stuff, a lot yeah. of young prospects, stuff like that. Pay-per-views, they've been loading up on him, man. And this one is, like, it's no different. Um, obviously, you got, like you mentioned, Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier, which, 
you know, I feel like people calling Dustin Poirier the uncrowned king at lightweight. I get the argument, but dude, Charles Oliveira is on a run like we've not seen in a long time. I understand maybe he doesn't have the names. You can tell just as much, at least in my opinion, I've always thought you can kind of tell just as much through the way that you're beating competition as opposed to the competition you're facing. He's not like you can argue, oh, he hasn't beaten this many top five guys or this many top 10 guys. I'm like, the guys that he's beating, they're still tough dudes, and he's just beating the shit out of them. Like, he did not oh, have yeah. a single close fight with the exception of the Michael Chandler fight. Uh, that was the only close one he's had, and I think it's nine fight winning streak or someone was lines. It doesn't support. We don't need to talk about him, but you know, the Conor McGregor wins. Um, just kind of been the guy uh, at lightweight, just putting together, taking all the tough fights, doing everything possible to get that shot again after he lost to Habib. So that's just going to be a yeah. phenomenal fight. Um, you mentioned a lot of them there, but you mentioned Sean O'Malley. Hey, I'm going to go ahead and say this now. His opponent, Rulon Pavia. Don't sleep on that, man. I understand he just lost his ranking for whatever reason because UFC arbitrarily gives him out. That kid is tough as nails, man. I mean, he's coming off a, a really recent win um, against a kid whose name I'm forgetting. Um, Kyler Phillips, who used to be ranked. He was a phenomenal prospect in the upset in there. Former, he was also ranked a flyweight. That's going to be a phenomenal fight. Mm. Um, and then the last one I honestly I really want to highlight I'm an Invicta guy. I covered most of the Invicta events. Oh, that yeah, because you're in Kansas City mostly. Yeah, yeah, mostly. So I got to go and highlight uh, two future, like, just they're fighting. I hate this fight is happening so early on in their careers. But on the early, early prelims, Aaron Blanchfield, Miranda, Miranda Maverick, two super oh, yeah. young prospects, both in, like, their early 20s. That's going to be a phenomenal fight. So, yeah, like, top to bottom, it's not my personal favorite card of the year. But you're going to get your money's worth no matter what. Like that main card, also just top to bottom, I just main card. It's insane. Well, I was looking at that card this morning, and I saw Miranda Maverick. She's not from Kansas City, but she's from Missouri, mm-hmm. um, kind of close to the Joplin area, I want to say. Uh, I mm-hmm. looked up her hometown and all that. Um, so, yeah, that's um, that's going to be interesting. So, And, look, I'm always – listen, I'm a KU guy, but even if there's a Mizzou guy, like back when you had um, – you had both Woodley and Askren. Like I would still pull for those guys because that's good for local MMA. Because Kansas City's only had one event in the in the past, and 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 I know. But do you, by the way, know the backstory with the uh, UFC only having one event in Kansas City? I have no clue whatsoever. So I I've got a little bit of insight on this. So a lot of some people know this, but in 2017, there there's a Facebook page called "Bring the UFC to Kansas City" because the UFC never had an event in Kansas City for the longest time. And I guess there was a leak of the UFC's upcoming schedule and Kansas City was listed on there. And I was like, whoa, that's that's kind of weird. And so I guess one of the people who runs that page reached out to me and I won't go into details with this guy, but he knows some of the local like he knows James Krause and Zach Cummings, like some mm-hmm. of the local uh, Kansas City UFC guys. Um, and he told me, he said, hey, the event is April 15th. And I looked at Zach Cummings' Facebook page, and he wrote a status post, uh, which was very vague. He goes, April 15th, get ready for it. I'm like, okay, this is this is real. Like, I think I can run with this. And I wrote about it on Cage Pages, which we talked about earlier. And that story blew up. I was like, whoa. Like, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And the same person who told me all this, he told me the reason the UFC never came into Kansas City, and keep in mind it was in 2017, the Fertitta brothers, they lost their gaming license in the state of Missouri, and they all always held it against Missouri. So that is why St. Louis and Kansas City never had an event. 
Um, and coincident to, again, 2017, the year where the UFC had new ownership, that's when uh, the UFC finally uh, went to Kansas City. So, uh, and, and I know with this pandemic, and they're doing a lot of their uh, fight nights just on a neutral site in uh, Vegas at the um, Apex. Uh, at some point, I would imagine they would like to go back to normalcy full time because they're only doing pay per views in front of full crowds. Uh, but they're going to have to make up for some of the markets that they were going to go to. Like I know there was their Midwest. Uh, fulfillment was supposed to be nebraska last year so i assume they want to go back and um honor those fulfillments that they agreed to in the past so i don't know when they're going to come back to kansas city but i'll tell you what man and i think it helps that you had some uh, local guys on the card early but did you go to that event by the way in kansas city at the center oh hell yeah dude like and by the way you just brought all my memories back i completely forgot that you were the one that like uh first reported that they were coming to kansas City. i remember telling like my friends and like in high school i was like I know that guy. He's the guy that broke the news for me. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> like we were all, because I went with a couple of my buddies who were like 16 and went to the Sprint Center and saw, yeah, I went to that card. I completely yeah. forgot that you were the one that um, obviously broke that story. That's insane. I mean, yeah, no. as far as like, no, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, because um, Fox Sports used to share a lot of stuff from Fansided. And when they shared that story on Fox Sports' website, the UFC was partnered with Fox Sports at the time. I heard the UFC was not happy about that at all, and they actually <laughs> asked Fox Sports to take it down. But yeah, yeah, go ahead. Tell me your story about the um, UFC event in KC. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not too much about that, but it was just uh, – that was my first MMA event I've ever gone to. So, by the way, just Damn. like just peeking out. Like, I've not gone to a UFC event since just because I have not been able to, like, make the trip over to, like, Vegas or anything like that. They were supposed to come back – uh, for a fight night event, right in I think it was like August 2020. It, I, don't, it, I don't believe it was like announced yet, but I heard from like different people that it was supposed to happen around that time. In Kansas like City? In the, yeah, the Sprint Center. I'm not sure oh. if it was in August, but it was the year COVID hit it was around July, August, somewhere around that area. I believe it's just going to be a fight night card. Um, but yeah, I haven't been fortunate. But dude, just talk about fucking setting the expectations too high. Like I love Invicta. I love, I love covering everything in the Midwest that I can. Dude, seeing like Demetrius Johnson, who I'm I'm biased. He's one of my favorite fighters of all time. Yeah, I think he's one of the goats. Uh, he's in my top three. Yeah, one hundred percent. So just seeing him, just completely. I mean, he beat the shit out of Wilson Ace. Like that was an yeah. underrated beatdown, dude. Like that was a boxing clinic. I like it. I'm not sure you can call it fight. But people, I'm sure you used to remember. People used to call DJ boring a lot back in the day. Oh yeah, um, he just beat his ass. I mean, honestly, there's no other way to put it. Well, people don't realize this, like. Demetrius Johnson, he handed Henry Cejudo his first loss. And I know he lost to Cejudo later, but um, he had that impressive armbar submission. I can't remember against who. Um, they had to push their match back because of an injury. Uh, Ray um, Borg. Yes, Ray Borg. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. And then um, Wilson Hayes. Wilson Hayes has never been submitted in a fight before until Demetrius Johnson. So, okay, sure, maybe flyweight. The competition was it kind of reminds you of when Ronda Rousey was the champ. Like it felt like the competition wasn't high because Ronda was dominating everyone. But there are good guys at flyweight, and we're kind of seeing it now post Demetrius Johnson, post Cejudo era. And I really hope Cejudo comes back, man, because he was doing well. I mean, he was hitting his stride and he retired way too damn early. But uh, yeah, I mean, Demetrius, I feel like was very, very underappreciated. And listen, I know the UFC gets criticized for this, but in their defense, it's like, what were they to do? They put mm-hmm. him on a free Fox card in Kansas City, and unfortunately, the ratings were not high. They put they did an entire season of The Ultimate Fighter surrounding Demetrius Johnson. 
I just don't know. Like, I guess Demetrius Johnson needed to talk shit more. I don't know. Um, that's all I can really think of that, that would have helped. I mean, yeah, but all, like I've heard people say, oh, he was underpromoted. And I've never like I'm not I'm the last guy that's going to defend the USC and Dana White. But they they tried, man. I mean, they yeah. really did. Um, and just never generally for whatever reason. I never understood it either. And I'm biased because like I used to watch him on Twitch back in the day. I'll never forget the story. Um, I'm sure if like you look for it, you probably find the clips. The night he fought Henry Cejudo, USC 197, he was streaming in his hotel room the day of. And I, th- I want to say he was playing. <laughs> I, I want he was he was playing Dark Souls, and the story goes something along the lines: it's like it's like an hour or two before he fights. It's like, all right, guys, gotta go. I gotta go fight. I'll be back. He goes beats Henry Cejudo's ass. Hall of Famer washes him out in the first round. Goes back. All right, guys, I'm back. And he just continues playing Dark Souls like something That's happened. Fucking hilarious. You're not here's the funniest thing about it. He's like he's a gaming guy. You're not allowed to really. Yeah. He doesn't really talk about his fighting on his streams. He's just a guy. He's like, oh, that's my day job. I don't really want to talk about it. So he just goes and beats his ass, comes back from the read and continues playing video games. Like he's he's a special breed, dude. Like he's one of the yeah. favorite of all time. So seeing him in person, it just it was, it was it's been tough to kind of replicate that experience. You know, my dad and I, we've always been big fans of his, and we were really excited to see him in person. He and I went together. Um, mm-hmm. I remember, I, I, I've never watched like his streams live, but I know, and I'm not too familiar with Twitch, but I did go through his Twitch, and there were two funny clips on there. Uh, one of them, he was just streaming, and someone's knocking on his door. He's like, man, that sounds like the police is knocking on the door. <laughs> it was USADA that came <laughs> to, to drug test him. And there was another stream, uh, another clip on his Twitch account. Um, he's just talking to people online, playing Call of Duty or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And he goes, hey, have you guys heard of Demetrius Johnson? They're like, no. And he goes, he goes, have you heard of Conor McGregor? And the same guy goes, yeah, what do you think? I live under a rock? It's like <laughs> he's having way too much fun with that. Um, but yeah, Demetri- and I, I saw Ariel Helwani tweet this. He was watching one of uh, Demetrius's live streams and said, man, the UFC needs to kind of push for this kind of thing more, but it doesn't, that kind of thing, unfortunately, just doesn't draw. Like mm-hmm. Conor McGregor, you know, calling someone's wife a man, like that draws, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's something I just, something I've noticed, but even though like Demetrius is a weird guy because I mean, it's something that doesn't really draw, but like I've watched other UFC fighters for whatever reason, UFC fighters love to stream all employee video games, Sean O'Malley, Max Holloway, Chris Weidman, just a couple of wonder boy. I'll tell my head, all of them do better than yeah. Kristen DJ. It, it's, it's, it's kind of sad, but he's, he's doing his thing over in one now, you know, I don't think he's, I don't think he's too broken up about it. I mean, like even whenever he got pushed out the door, yeah. which I think is just, it was depressing to see that happen to like a future Hall of Fame. I mean, not future Hall of Famer. He's not going to go in. I don't think he'd show up. Um, he just didn't care. Bret Hart style. Yeah, Bret Hart style. Like because the story would happen. Like everything went bad when they wanted to fight TJ Dillashaw, bringing it back to like 2019, and they wanted uh, to do like a super fight because you know TJ was going to fight a flyweight. And he's like, no nah, man, he's got to make weight first, prove he can do it. Yeah. Uh, and the UC is like, all right, we'll shut down your division. He's like, shut the division down. I don't care. Like I'm just. <laughs> I'm yeah, just, he did I'm say that. Dude. Yeah, he's like, shut the fucking division. Then I don't yeah, care. I remember like, yeah, man, he, he's a he's a rare breed. But um, I mean, it's it's such a fun time for MMA right now. I mean, I probably DJ going over to one. You got one championship, which is killing a bell tour UFC. It's like the the greatest time to possibly be an MMA fan. I remember back in 2016, which is whenever I really jumped. I mean, I've been a fan since like 2011, but like I jumped completely in at that time. I thought nothing's gonna get Me better too. than this, and yeah. it's it somehow continues to get like get even better yeah and i know 2016 was a wild year because of conor mcgregor 
and you had so many title change. You remember all those title changes that year in 2016? Like, mm. I mean, that was insane. Like that, that was a really, and if I remember correctly, the UFC had five pay-per-views hit a million buys. That was also the mm. same year with UFC 200. And I know that didn't go as planned, but still they found a way to hit a million buys. And I think it helped Brock Lesnar came back, but mm. yeah, that was a very good time to get into MMA. That's when I got into uh, the UFC the most. Um, by the way, that Kansas City event, another fighter who my dad and I are huge fans of, and she's doing well. And I said for a long time, I said she's going to be Joanna is, is Rose. Man, I'm a huge fan of her. And I remember um, Michelle Watterson was coming off a previous UFC on Fox win over Paige Van Zandt. Mm-hmm. So she had a lot of momentum and a lot of fan support at the time. And I, if you remember, like there was also this weird rumor that she was getting the next title shot, which was not true at all. Mm-hmm. But when Rose Namajunas head kicked her and went for the submission, my dad and I were the only ones in our section who went crazy about that. Cause we're, we're, we're we've been huge fans of Rose ever since we got into MMA. Um, I'm really happy to see where she's come, like how far she has come. She beat Joanna twice. She beat Wei Lee twice. And by the way, like the weird thing about Rose, she's never had a knockout in her career. The two times she has a knockout and is when she is challenging for a title. Like, Something's got to be said about that. That is that mm-hmm. is interesting. And she's also the first female to win the same belt twice. Like Amanda's the first double champ, female double mm-hmm. champ, but Rose is the first female to win a championship, lose it and get it back. So like like, like there's something like she's a she's a very special one for the mm-hmm. UFC. Completely. And in like uh not to, to kind of like draw a parallel funny enough they fought on the the same card but like she reminds me a lot of like, uh, she's like a woman's version of Kamaru Usman in the way that like how yeah. her career's going. They both hit the championship level. They were good championship level. Like they were championship level contendership before that. They were both very good fighters. But once they got the title and once they got into like those fights where they're fighting for the title, they just kicked it in gear. Like Kamaru was not a finisher before he started fighting the top level as a champion. I just finished dudes left and right. Yeah. Rose, similar case. Like you mentioned it, like her only knockouts came against the high, quite literally the highest level of competition you can face. Like it's, it's completely insane. And just to watch her career evolve. Cause she's one of those like fighters. And it's always so fun to see this happen all the time. It goes wrong. Whenever a fighter comes in and you see, they're so young and so green. You see them. I mean, honestly, they get fucked up a lot. A lot of time they get released all the time. They never, they never reach the peak. But like Rosam Yunus went from like the ultimate fighter, like fighting Carlos Spars, who she might fight next in the rematch. I mean, she got her ass kicked. Like that first time she fought for the belt. And she, she was like, yeah. what? Forno. Like she was so young. And now seeing like her slowly evolve, like even through her losses against like Carolina Kulkovich back in like 2016, like just seeing her slowly evolve to learn now she's the champion. And like, there's not a single fighter to pick against her, at least at 115 right now. So yeah. it's crazy. Um, by the way, you mentioned Usman. Did you see the UFC always waits like about a few weeks before they release this kind of thing? Um, they always release, uh, I, I don't want to call it never before seen footage, but they release <clears> footage <throat> with, um sound like you can actually hear fighter exchanges um mm. this just came out like an hour or two ago you colby Covington. you remember colby colby covington and kamaru usman they like met yeah. face to face at end of the fight and dan mergler is like okay guys kiss later or some shit i was laughing my <laughs> yeah. ass off when he said that um covington you can actually hear him he's telling usman he goes man i was just selling the fight for you mm. it's like and listen, Colby Covington, fantastic fighter. I don't agree with his political stance or any of that. And for the record, mm-hmm. I think all politicians are idiots. But um, mm-hmm. Covington is like, 
he's been caught on camera without his shtick. Like he just admitted to Kamaru and the, and the microphone mm-hmm. even came on. And it's weird because Covington keeps being asked in press conferences and in videos or uh, interviews, what did you say to Kamaru? Well, he doesn't say it. It's because he's going to break character if he says mm-hmm. what he said. Well, now we know what he just said. Um, like he seems like a chill guy. Like I don't hold all that stuff against him the way he talks. I mean, the only thing I take issue is when he was making fun of Glenn Robinson's Zeph. Like yep. that's not a cool thing to, I mean, that's not cool. Um, but other than that, it's like, even McGregor was telling Habib, he's like, Hey man, it's all for money. Like after the second round or something, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's proof that these guys, they just talk shit to make money and to build fight. Cause if you don't hype up the fight and if you don't get you're not going to get pay-per-view buys and if you don't get pay-per-view buys you're not going to get paid a lot so that's all it was at the end of the day between those two <laughs> yeah i mean uh the exact honor quote i remember i'll never forget it was like it was, it's just business yep, is what he exactly. said after, yeah. after the third round and then um just fucking to be did not take it as just business but yeah colby's an yeah. interesting case man um because i'm somebody who's like i've always been iffy on the character being the character, like just the character in mixed martial arts in general. Like if you're gonna do the Chael Sonnen route, I love it. It's hilarious. There's a lot of dudes who play a character to an extent. And this stuff like the Colby said, like the Glenn Robinson is in hell or whatever. He gave yeah. me the Zach and like his daughters had to come out like four times to tell him to stop. And there was like something, I remember like he was after he beat Tarn Woodley. Uh, he said like, I went to the White House. He's like talking to Kamara, like the post fight because Kamara was working the desk because they were trying to hype like a fight or whatever. Yeah. So something along the lines of like, you know, I I, I go to the White House. I got I got a call. I got a call from the president. You got a call from your tribe with your smoke signals. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, that's, a, that's rough, man. But then you see him do that stuff with Kamara in the middle of cage. I'm like, well, it's it's so it's, it's, it's interesting the dichotomy between just like the human being and also like the character. Well, you know, what's funny is Dana White was asked in a press conference. Someone asked him, they go, are you reinventing the First Amendment? <laughs> it's like, OK, uh, all right, buddy. Um, but by the way, Mr. You know, Dana White's always been this guy who's like, yeah, I don't tell fighters what to say. They say this is a mean business. They say mean things. Um, but Mr. First Amendment reinventor here was asked about Conor McGregor's comment about calling Dustin Poirier's wife a man which I alluded to a little earlier, even Dana White that night in the press conference was like, no, I do not agree with that. So it's like, even Dana White has like this line of, okay, you're crossing the line. Stop. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, man, I was going to ask you about uh, McGregor because I know he's probably the most over-talked about guy. And listen, if he, sadly, if he wins a fight, his next fight, he's getting a title shot, even though he's lost three of his last four, especially if Dustin Poirier wins. Like if Dustin Poirier wins and if McGregor wins by like the most horrible decision ever, they're giving him the, they're like, yep, round four, Poirier and McGregor go, Mm -hmm. Um, which is going to sell. I mean, I'm not opposed to it, but I'm also for some fairness. I'll tell you what, man, I think the only right fight to make right now is McGregor Diaz three. Like Diaz is struggling lately. McGregor struggling lately. If these guys keep losing, the value of that trilogy is going to go away. And I think you have to do it now. I don't know where Connor is with his rehab and all that stuff with his ankle mm-hmm. or his foot, whatever it was. But whenever he comes back, and I don't know what's going on with Nate. You never know what's going on with Nate Diaz. But those two have to fight next. Like that has to happen. You know, that's the interesting thing with is entirely, it's entirely on Nate's then. Because here's the thing is I would actually, 
agree with um i would not agree with you normally uh on just the the part of like those two need to fight next i think there's other interesting fights uh nate obviously talked about fighting vincent de luke that makes a lot of sense in my opinion just because luke needs the name he needs the popularity and beating nate would give him that um and connor him going back and forth with, with max holloway that would make a lot of sense especially if max wants to move up the lightweight which apparently he's talked about a whole lot that would make yeah. a lot of sense uh, but the thing for me, it comes in is the fact that Nate has one fight left on his deal. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you've been following the Jake Paul box and stuff, man. I've, I mean, I've known Jake Paul since he was on, on Vine, dude. Like I I'm, I'm that guy. Cause I was, I was a, like a teenager whenever he was like doing the social media stuff. I I've said since the beginning, since I found out like Nate had one fight left on his deal uh, after the Leon fight, I'm like, he's going to fight anybody next. And then he's going to go get that payday. And I, it just up to the UFC if they, and I think what they're trying to do, because Nate's been asking for months now to fight in December against quite literally anybody. They're either going to try and make him fight Hazmat Jemayev and just a complete squash match to give Hazmat a name. Or with the more logical thing that I think they're trying to do is they're putting Diaz on the back burner until Connor's healthy. I think what you're saying, I think that's completely what they're going to do. Because there's no way Nate's coming back to you. There's no way, he, there's no way he's going to pass up that, He's gonna make a shitload of money fighting in boxing. They're man. still He's gonna talking make so much shit. Money. Like they're still yeah. going back and forth on Twitter and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to make so much money. Even if Jake, that's the thing. Jake Paul is going to lose his next fight. I don't care what anybody says. I'm that guy. Tom Fury's going to beat his ass. Doesn't matter though. He's the payday. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing the UFC can offer him to go ahead and make him stay at this point. I don't think. So I think they're going to do Diaz McGregor three next. And uh, man, if Conor loses that one. Like we're uh, it's it, we're in completely unprecedented territory because Connor, you you can justify the Fourier losses. You know, uh, first one was he was winning until he got caught. Whatever, yeah. Second fight injury, Habib lost. Everybody loses to Habib. If you lose a Diaz, man, and Diaz is on the one foot out the door to go fight Jake Paul, your career it, you're in you're in Mike Tyson 04 territory. Okay, yeah. you're in a you're in a bad place. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. Look, he's an exciting guy, so. Like, even though I'm not a McGregor fan, the entertainment value he brings, especially to these press conferences, with the exception of, like, the personal attacks, like, I want McGregor to be relevant, but I don't know. Uh, I mean, who knows uh, how that's uh, going to unfold. You made some good points there, and I do agree with you on a lot of that. A um, couple non-sports stories, um, and then we'll get out here. Actually, you you probably noticed this. I changed locations because my battery is <laughs> almost dying. Um, by the way, this new COVID variant, it's like... Okay, I get they're going after. I made a joke about this, and people were like, "Oh, they're going after the Greek alphabet." I know. I made a joke saying, "Man, they're they're quickly naming like all these variants, and they're naming them after machines from Final Fantasy 13." And people took it all seriously. It's like you can't even make a joke about like the smallest things. Like I'm not making fun of people dying from this. Yeah. Um. But yeah, man, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, listen, I'm gonna be on vacation twice this month. I'm not wearing a mask anymore, uh, like a lot of people. Uh, the only time I wear it nowadays is if I'm in a place that's required, like airport, airplane, and out of the country, which I will be in a, in a week and a half. I mean, that's where um, every country is different right now. I'm just kind of over it, man. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I think it needs to be taken seriously. Don't get me wrong. But I think we've also found a way to combat it, especially with the vaccine that's been out there and all that. I don't know. That's just my stance on that. I, I'm not, I'm not, not, I'm not an expert, not a doctor. I'm not Joe mm-hmm. Rogan, uh, Dr. <laughs> Joe Rogan, I, as you said on Twitter, uh, because of the Dana White story that came out, yeah. with him testing positive, but I don't know, man, I, I think we need to kind of ease up a little bit on these things, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, what's that new code variant called? How do you actually pronounce that? It's like Omicron or something, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I made the joke. Uh, some of the lines of like, if we all, if if COVID was named after a transformer since the beginning, everybody, <laughs> we would have been inside our house. It was like, bro, fuck, Omicron's coming after us. Like, you can catch Omicron. Like, Jesus, dude. No, I'm staying inside. No, I mean, as far as COVID, dude, like, I'm pretty much on the same page with you. I mean, I've. I've been a good boy. I've got my shots, you know, I've done everything that I can. So, um, I mean, as far as like, I don't want to play too, too much of my hand, but like, as far as like, uh, the, the real issue is just kind of like people that like COVID's going to stay around and variants going to keep on popping. It was people don't want to get vaccinated, but if you're vaccinated at this point, like just, I mean, just kind of live your life. That's kind of, that's kind yeah, of my mindset. I agree. That's been my mindset so far. Yeah. And I, and listen, then, I, I just hate how political this has gotten. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there is some truth that, you know, those who are vaccinated and have died there, they, they have other um, issues health wise. Like people ignore mm-hmm. that part so much. I think that's, uh, that's forgotten about, but Hey, look, uh, I mean, that's just me. Um, by the way, uh, I don't know how much you've been following this whole Chris Como story. I mentioned him recently because with the whole Henry Ruggs thing that happened, uh Derek Carr didn't necessarily defend him but he made a comment saying uh he needs love right now or he needs support and I wish he would have called me or something like that like I don't have an mm-hmm. issue with him saying that he's not defending what Henry Ruggs did mm-hmm. but there are some people out there like um I don't know if you know Julie Chen she used to be on the talk and she hosts Big Brother she did not defend what her husband did but she started using his last name now on TV which is like that's kind of interesting, but again, you know, she's she's her husband, uh, so she'll always come in defend, defense of him. Chris Como never defended what his brother did, publicly mm-hmm. at least, so, you know, I, and people were like, oh, Chris Como needs to say something publicly about this. Like, what do you want him to say? Like, he's not going to attack his own family member. Now, what mm-hmm. he did in helping his brother with this scandal, that I take issue with, and I've got to say props to CNN for suspending him. I know he has a radio show on Sirius XM. I'm very curious to know if Sirius XM suspends him. I don't think they have yet, but mm. I wasn't sure if you had any thoughts on that. Cause I think that's a, um, that's a very uh, important thing to, to keep an eye on. Cause a lot of times with media, I, I'm into these kinds of stories, the way media outlets respond to one of their reporters or anchors, whoever doing something like this and then suspending them and what the aftermath is after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually kind of on the same page with you. I think that stuff's kind of interesting. And for as much as people kind of, um, it's a proper verb here, shit on CNN. Uh, I think they, they generally do a pretty good job of riding the ship in this sort of situation, at least from what I've seen, uh, by obviously suspending him. Because I don't think it's obviously like, you can defend your brother to an extent. You have to defend his actions. You can kind of, you brought up Derek Carr. It's kind of like a good example, like show him love in a situation like this. But from what I've heard, the way about like he went about handling his case and obviously i don't have all the details because i like funny enough you asked me about this in the pre like when i first hopped on the call before we were recording i literally watched a video about it like literally 10 minutes beforehand so obviously i don't have all the full details but from what i see they were more than justified in uh suspending him so i I think it's definitely an interesting story by the way this is the last thing i want to talk about and then we'll uh get out of here Mm -hmm. listen i don't care about the story i don't even know the person's name but Nevada, there's a, I don't know if it's Miss America or Miss USA, one of the pageants competitions, okay? 
So mm-hmm. I guess the woman representing Nevada is a transgender, and she's going to be the first transgender to compete in the uh, national competition. And there's all kinds of outrage about this. Look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give any opinion on sexuality, transgender. I, I don't I don't care about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what I am going to say because there are people outraged about this. The same people who were outraged about. Um, Anthony Fauci getting his own uh, Disney Plus series. They forgot about it two days later. The same people outraged about the Cleveland Indians changing their name to the Guardians. They got over it two days later. Like People are going to be outraged about something. And I think this is kind of what I've learned over the past few years when people are outraged over something. I don't care who you are or where you lean politically, because I know Mm -hmm. there's a political issue, even though it isn't. Um, Wherever you lie on this subject, you're going to forget about it two days later. Like, listen, I've, I've kind of taken a back seat, seeing all these people outrage. I'm like, you know what? This doesn't impact me personally in any way whatsoever. So why should I be outraged over this stuff? I mean, that's all I have to say about this subject. Like all the watch, I'll, I'll bet you money. All the people outrage over this, they will not be outraged in 48 hours. Trust me. <laughs> Entirely. I mean, this is a weird quote to draw from, but just like people getting angry all the time. It's a weird movie. Excuse me weird movie to draw the quote from American history X like near the end is some along the lines of like um, life's too short to be pissed off all, all the time. I'm not sure how people have the energy, man. Like, I, like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I mean, you brought up the Cleveland Indians thing, like whenever Washington changed their name to the Wash football team, which by the way, I think it's hilarious that they're rolling with that. I hope they roll with that until that's until like humans cease to exist. I hope it's the Wash football team. Um, but yeah, like people getting angry about this, I don't have the energy. Like if look, my like good for her, I guess. Like I like I'm not I don't I don't really find a reason to be angry about it, but for people that are angry, it's just like in what capacity does it affect you? Like if here, here's the thing, like not to draw too much into the conversation because obviously we're about to dip out, but whenever people talk about like trans uh individuals in like sports, you know what I mean? There's yeah. like a competitive edge there. There's like there's there's a lot of different factors that make it very kind of complicated it's a tough situation to deal with this one i don't i don't care like like yeah. if it's if it's somebody who transitioned they want to join that contest and you know that's fine with me i mean like i'll never understand the people that have the energy for that stuff i'll just i'll never understand people that get angry about every single story that happens ever listen i've got my business which is we're, we're looking to get more um more space and I'm de- I, I dealt with a, a lot of that today, okay? I've got that going on. I've got, you know, in my personal life, I've got a treadmill that's not working. And I've been on the phone nonstop with the company trying to schedule a goddamn appointment at the same time with my busy schedule. Like, plus, you know, mm-hmm. I've got my personal life. I, I like to watch sports, TV, just kind of relax and live a good life. Like, the last thing I care about is getting outraged over something small, especially something small like this. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I don't know. Like, the people who, by the way, make fun of others for being outraged are the ones who get outraged over something stupid. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, uh, those are the things I just wanted to talk about today. Um, and not being a good podcast, man, we'll have to do this uh, again sometime real quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us again where you're writing at, where can people check out your work and uh, how can they uh, connect with you on social media? Yeah, of course. Uh, obviously, combat sports writer and editor at uh, sportskeeda.com. If you check me out in the MMA and the boxing section, that's going to be my main my main thing from now on. Um, obviously, follow me at Josh Evanoff on Twitter. 
Uh, I got the blue check mark next to my name, so that way you know I'm officially a Z-level celebrity at this point. Uh, <laughs> and then you guys can also um, got to plug my own podcast here, the Courtside Sound Up Podcast, with my buddy Angel Ortega. Been running that for about two years now. It's a lot of fun. Um, kind of talk about everything in the sports world. Typically MMA, boxing, but we'll talk about pretty much everything around the world. So uh, that's pretty much where you guys can go ahead and find me. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime. Uh, we'll keep in touch. Uh, until then, man. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, we'll uh, we'll do this again sometime. Of course. Sounds good. All right. Josh Avanoff, uh, guest co-hosting with me here on this episode of Farscast. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Farscast. I'm Farzim Basugi, and I'll try to squeeze in one more podcast before Christmas and New Year's. Uh, other than that, stay safe. Enjoy. I will talk to you guys later. Peace out. <laughs>